You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Interning 101 podcast, hosted by yours truly, Emily White, author of Interning 101. Hello, welcome to the Interning 101 podcast with Emily White. This is our mini episode number three. I mean, the point of these mini episodes is really to dig in deep on how to be successful as a student, how to get a job, how to be successful in that, um, and a ton of modern business best practices. So here we're kind of digging in to my story and my background um, because on the interview episodes, we obviously want to keep it focused on our awesome guests. So picking up where we left off from episode two, I had talked about how when I was a student at Northeastern University in Boston, the Dresden Dolls, who were a local band on the rise, came to play my school at Northeastern. Um, Northeastern, I think, still has like a non-alcoholic club called After Hours that supposedly pays bands pretty well. So we were able to get decent talent. And so the Dresden Dolls played. I had seen them at the Boston Music Awards, as I mentioned in episode two. But in this instance, I introduced myself to Amanda Palmer, as discussed, and she asked if I could come over the next day to help her and and Brian Biglione, who make up the Dresden Dolls. I also talked about uh, clearing any expectations as far as internship tasks, as my first task for the Dresden Dolls was to take dictation um, because Amanda had been suffering from tendonitis in her forearms from writing 100 emails a day before they had management and a proper team in place. And of course, her aggressive keyboard, awesome keyboard style of play uh, to this day. So again, um, be a blank slate when it comes to those tasks because you never know what's going to be thrown at you. And don't be bummed about the task because as I mentioned, taking dictation, not really something we go to school for necessarily, but there ended up being no better way to get inside my boss's head, a business's head, a band is a business than, than that. So that was my first task interning for the Dresden Dolls. And I went over to Amanda's amazing artist commune house every day um, in between classes or after swim practice. And, you know, this was 2003. So she lived in, and I, I say that because what I'm about to say is like, these are things maybe people have now, but they didn't have then. It was really forward thinking. So Amanda lived in this amazing artist commune, uh, luckily near campus where uh, Michael Pope, her video director was there, um, the Martin brothers who would do the band's website like in 2003, that's amazing. Zaya Barker did a lot of design, uh, set design, stage design, costume design. So there's just this incredible artistic community. And, and for me personally, it was an amazing contrast to go from this like NCAA division one jock athletic culture um, to they'd be offended if I said this, but to this like hippie land. Um, I mean, they'd be jokingly offended. So 
I did that. I loved it. I did everything and everything that was asked of me, whether it was, um, again, this is something that people do now all the time. Um, but Amanda put a lot of thought into, um, like album packages. So I can't even remember at that time if you paid more or it was like a special release or something. But my now good friend, Eric Sussman and I, who had also offered to help with the band, I, I remember spending hours with him putting together these like gorgeous, you know, handmade packages from the band, which, you know, was very genuine, but was how, you know, a big reason that the Dresden Dolls have cultivated, you know, that intimate and direct relationship with their audience. So yeah, I just did everything, anything and everything. Uh, I was obsessed with live music, so I would help out at their shows. And, and by help out, that was usually doing merch, but of course, like loading gear, just whatever was asked of me. And that merch table was awesome. We had an email list out. Um, you could barely say hi to myself, Amanda, or Brian without um, us asking if, if you wanted to join the email list. And that ended up being a crucial tool for the band to this day, both you know for emotional reasons and also financial reasons, which we'll, we'll delve into maybe some other time. But you know, my point in mentioning the great job I did at the merch table um, is because I was talking to someone who wanted to be a tour manager a few years ago. Uh, a journalist put us in touch and I was like, yeah, happy to talk to her. And, and she said, yeah, I'm going to suck it up. I guess I'll suck it up for a while and do merch. And I was like, suck it up? Because like, I get really emotional about merch. This isn't always the case because at bigger venues, it's, it's what's called, quote, house sells. So you can't have your own merch person um, at bigger venues. But at the club level, you can usually have your own. And to have someone there, you know, who's engaging, who knows what's going on with the band, that's often a touch point between the fan and the artist, especially as this was on the cusp of kind of the mainstream internet. So I might be more in the loop on tour dates and things that are going on. And it's just really important to have a friendly face at the merch table um, who's passionate and informative. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing because... We'll share some of these videos, but I did a video interview with Brian Biglione, and of course he's on the podcast as well, um, where he said that like made his heart flutter or whatever. And I get it, you know, like as a manager now, when I see an empty merch table, or I was at a show for one of my artists um, in Chicago recently, and I wanted to, she had these awesome ass man hats. Uh, she has a lyric about it, and it's a Seinfeld reference and all that. And I wanted to buy one, and... Um, the kid at the merch table was like, oh, I'm in the other band, in which I just started selling for my own artists. But I explained to that kid like, hey, if you weren't here, I would have sold your stuff. And that's like a nice thing to do to help out other bands. So merch is very, very important. Um, but my point is, I took every task seriously as I went and I did it to the best of my ability. And because I was so obsessed with live music, I knew that I wanted to tour manage. However, I had never tour managed before. So I was upfront about that. Uh, I waited until a quiet moment. Um, and for some background, the band was about, the Dresden Dolls were about to go on their first quote national tour. And I put quotes, I'm doing like air quotes here because it was self-booked. Um, it included Big Bill's Barbecue in Carbondale, Illinois, Gino's Sports Bar in Boone, North Carolina, but the Dresden Dolls were also playing at South by Southwest. And I was on co-op slash internship that semester. So I waited until a quiet moment and asked Amanda and up front said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I would be interested in tour managing you guys on that tour if 
that's helpful. Maybe I didn't say I don't know what I'm doing at first, but at some point I said that in that ask and said, but I can at least do your merch. And Amanda was really serious and said, "Um, this is a band decision. We have to ask Brian. Um, It's a two person band, as mentioned. And a week went by where I was like telling my friends like, oh my gosh, I might be going to South by. I don't know what's going on. And I didn't hear anything. So I picked another quiet moment a week or so later and, and said to Amanda, hey, did you get a chance to talk to Brian about me maybe tour managing? And she was like, oh, I totally forgot. And Brian was in the other room. So she said, hey, Brian, can Emily be our tour manager? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And that was it. That's how I got my like one of my dream jobs of tour managing. But as stated, I didn't necessarily, I hadn't tour managed other than like helping out at the Dresden Dolls local shows in Boston. So my first email was to that musician, Ed, that I talked about before um, from the internship that I almost quit. I reached out to Ed because he was the business guy tour manager in his band. And so I said, okay, I got this gig tour managing. What does that mean? What do I do? And Ed sent me back a list of 10 what's called advanced questions um, as in advancing a show. And that can be, you know, what time do you want us to load? What time is sound check? What time are doors? What time is is our set? Is there a curfew? Um, what's the Wi-Fi password? Where do we park? Uh, what is the day of show contacts mobile number? Those are just off the top of my head. But I think that that email from Ed was printed out and at the front of my physical tour book for probably a couple of years. So my point is, um, Ed ended up ended up becoming a great tour managing mentor. And I wouldn't have had that if I would have quit that internship, as I mentioned. So I went on that first tour with the Dresden Dolls. Um, I remember, I wonder who was doing their college radio. Shout out to Powderfinger if it was them. But they had a college radio interview at like noon central or whatever. And I thought, I'll just remember that. Um, Totally didn't remember that. But my point is, um, you can make mistakes. But in that moment, when we blew that interview and had to reschedule it, I was like, I'm never making that mistake again. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. And that's what I did. You know, you have to figure out systems. And that was before calendar alerts and things like that. So now it's a little bit easier, but we're also in kind of like the age of distractions. So even though there are alerts, you have to figure out um, streamlined systems, which we'll definitely talk about. So did that tour. It was amazing. Uh, You know, in my head, I kind of mocked Big Bill's sports Big Bill's Barbecue and Gino's Sports Bar. But in reality, those ended up being two of the best shows on the tour. Um, Both were in college towns and where the universities at the time wouldn't let people book bands on campus. So those were venues where, you know, music, music mavens, as we would say in marketing world, uh, could book shows and they were packed and sold out. And it was an amazing experience. Um, At South by Southwest, I mean, I was maybe, I think I just turned 21. It was an amazing experience. I've been to and spoken at like you know, a dozen South by Southwest or whatever at this point. 
And the younger you can go, the better, because it's a really overwhelming experience. I always joke that it's not your first South by if you're not crying on Sixth Street. But in reality, like, you know, a few years later, when I still was young and, and at South by, I would see, you know, industry colleagues just totally drunk all day and like making asses of themselves because they're excited to be out of the office. Whereas like I was a young 20 something and by then really had it together as far as South by Southwest goes and realized that it actually is a work thing and not just a party, like not to be super lame. Um, we'll definitely talk more about that in our mini episode on, on wellness and, and best practices. But yeah, South by was amazing. Um, I remember walking down the street with Amanda, having some sort of intense conversation in which she immediately stopped talking and turned around and went up to someone because it was Robin Hitchcock and she was a longtime fan. And, and I've had countless magical moments like that at South by Southwest since, but yeah, the younger you can go, the better. Um, I know Northeastern has often sent students, think Ohio state has sent students. So if your school is not sending students to South by South by Southwest, see if that's a program you can start. So they do that fall. I went abroad to London and that was that was my initial plan. That was my dream was to work in the UK music industry, camp outside Marcus Russell's office who manages Oasis until he would let me intern and help with whatever. Um, I got an internship at VH1 in the UK, which was awesome. Um, it was in Camden Town in London. And interning means something different in the UK. It means entry level. So I was paid a little bit. And also there was a new channel, I hope it's still there, called VH2 that was like 90s indie and just heaven for me. But immediately I was sent out on shoots uh, with Michael Stipe, with um, Bob Geldof, uh, with Robert Smith, and just dove in. Also, I also met Prince Charles and Camilla on that internship, which it's crazy that I sometimes forget that. But and, and let me say, like, I was able to do all this stuff because I had experience, I was mature, I worked super hard. So there was a producer that was um, filming a Prince's Charity Trust for VH1 and asked if I could help. And so I was in the pit doing releases, helping the producer, doing everything I could. And then kind of the crowd parted and Prince Charles and C Camilla walked by and, Prin and Prince Charles said to me, I can't really do an English accent, ironically, uh, ironically, because I'm such an Anglophile, but Prince Charles said to me, you're going to go deaf standing there all night because I was in the pit and right in front of the, the speaker. So I met Prince Charles technically at my internship. Um, Belle and Sebastian played that show. It was a really, really fun night. And yeah, just really um, met a ton of great people in the UK, in, in the music industry and in, in the TV industry that I'm still friends with and still in touch with. In fact, my boss, Paul King, was in a band called King that most people in England have heard of. I don't know how big they were other places, but people at work seem to really like that. But my takeaways from interning in the UK in a way have nothing to do with the music industry. And so anytime you have the opportunity to study or intern abroad, I can't stress it enough because I ever since have been able to dial internationally super fluently. Um, I can travel throughout Europe really easily you know, it was really hard to leave the Dresden Dolls to go and do that internship. But they're like, this is your dream, go do it. And we'll be here when you come back. But within that, the Dresden Dolls were actually playing Europe, they had 
grown that much. They're playing Europe when I was in the UK. So I figured out Ryanair. If you don't know what that is, it's like super budget airlines and flew to Sweden and Germany to see them. And it was just amazing. So again, and, and again, figuring out the London tube system is something I still use to this day as a New Yorker. I mean, I guess this has changed with like Google Maps and stuff, but you know, generally you might just like hop in a cab to try to get to meetings. Well, I know from my experience interning in London that it's way cheaper and faster to take the tube, which that's knowledge I wouldn't have otherwise. So again, I really look, it stands out to me when I see international internships or studying abroad on a resume because it just cranks your brain to think in a different way. So I completed my internship in the UK. It was awesome. By the time I came back, I was a senior in college and the Dresden Dolls had taken on management. I'm to this day forever grateful that um, they went with Mike Luba at Madison House because he's absolutely brilliant. And I was, we were out in Los Angeles. Um, I, I also remember, you know, being in charge of that trip. Um, the band had management, the label, the Dresden Dolls were signed by then to Roadrunner. Um, Roadrunner wanted to fly everyone out um, to do really awesome, legit promo stuff like uh, Morning Becomes Eclectic on KCRW. And I remember Bart Dahl at Madison House being like, okay, you're in charge. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I've never, I mean, I'd been to LA as a kid, like with my parents for swim meets, but um, I'm in charge. And Bart was like, you got this. And yeah, I could talk about Bart all day, just how awesome and and supportive he was. But um, yeah, so went out to Los Angeles and we were in the, I, I was in the control room at uh, when Nick Harcourt was hosting uh, Morning Becomes Eclectic, the Dresden Dolls were playing. I was there with Mike Luba, their manager. And then he said to me, Luba said, oh, and when you graduate in a few months, you'll come work for me at the management company in New York. And that's how I got my first job out of college. It wasn't posted anywhere. I didn't apply anywhere. I made myself indispensable to the Dresden Dolls, where I would never say that I was a third member of that band, but I certainly made it where functioning with me was a lot easier than functioning without me. So much so that when the Dresden Dolls signed their management agreement, they offered to pay a higher commission to Madison House if Emily White was employed by the company. So that was amazing. But I also wanted to continue to tour manage. I knew I didn't want to do it forever, but going around the world from age 20 to 23 with a band and people that I loved was was just amazing. So we ended up working it out where I would tour manage to the Dresden Dolls, which just for some nitty gritty detail, crew, you know, like a tour manager is paid by the band. Um, and then when I wasn't on the road, I would work at the management company and that was paid by the management company. So both the Dresden Dolls and Madison House basically got a full-time employee um, by each paying like, you know, half my salary. So that was, I think, good for everyone. And yeah, just the day I, you know, I graduated college, but I didn't walk in the ceremony because we were starting a multi-continent tour with Nine Inch Nails and we were kicking it off at Coachella. So I was at Coachella instead of walking in my graduation ceremony and, you know, definitely was in tears uh, that first week um, on the Nine Inch Nails tour bus when the Dolls' new business managers were asking me for spreadsheets and like Trent's production manager was freaking out. Um, But my point is, it didn't take me long to be not challenged by tour managing anymore. It took me three years to really conquer that. 
Um, but again, the Dresden Dolls and I really came up professionally together, which, and that summer was just amazing. We went all over the world, um, Japan for Fuji Rock, Europe for a bunch of festivals. And it was incredible. On the next episode, we will delve into my next steps of coming off of the road and working full time at Madison House and really getting my artist management chops um, and where I went next, which ended up being Miami, which felt a little random, but we will dig into. So this is episode, mini episode three of the Interning 101 podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Interning 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily White. You can follow us anytime over on Twitter at Interning 101, as well as on our website, interning101.com. I'm on Twitter at at EMWizzle. Hit us up anytime if you have questions, comments, guest suggestions, or just want to get something off your mind. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.